Welcome to Brainstorium. I'm Anna Tissard, award-winning dream punk and deeply weird fantasy author. And yes, that's me and my fiction that's deeply weird. Explore and imagine with me the most unexpected story ideas using the surrealist word game of Exquisite Corpse. Find out more and join in at anatizard.com. This is a storytelling challenge unlike anything you've tried before. Hello imaginative people, I'm Anna Tizard and this is episode 33 of Brainstorium. It's also the sixth and final show in my Alice in Wonderland mini-series. Last time I talked about the underlying meaning of Alice in Wonderland and how I think it feeds into the philosophical purpose of fantasy fiction, which is broadly speaking, to seek happiness and find a balance in ourselves. Over the course of the mini-series, I've explored plotting, character, inspiration, and finding our way with the power of story in a strange and contradictory world. What else is there for us to learn from Wonderland? I think the book has something to tell us about being a little bit different how to stand out in the crowd. In a world that's saturated with the mundane, the creative spark is what draws us in, what invites us into a rabbit hole worth jumping into. So join me for another leap into the unknown and together with the game of Exquisite Corpse, we'll make some new stories happen. Alice's Adventures in Wonderland is enduringly odd, but not just in the ways that we as 21st century readers experience. In 1865, when it was first published, children's stories were pretty much always morality tales. Children were proverbially bashed over the head with morals. Often, a character in a book would resist temptation until they didn't, and when they didn't, something diabolical happened to them. Alice's Adventures in Wonderland doesn't do that, although there is a strong element of the diabolical in it, but coming from the adults. The morality tale is flipped on its head. Alice, the child character, is earnestly trying to work out the rules of the world and is surrounded by characters who chide her with nonsense. The book is so different to anything else that was published for children at the time. And yes, it's easy to forget sometimes that it was a children's book, because nowadays we have so much crossover fiction. As adults too, there are so many rules that we have to live by. It's no surprise really that we find pleasure in Alice's adventure, which tips the whole world upside down. We want that. As I was saying in the last episode, maybe we need it a little bit. As authors, we also have to follow general rules about writing to make our stories work. To engage our readers, we understand that a a story must be well-crafted, 
have relatable characters, conflict and an ending that ties off the threads that we've introduced and developed throughout the plot. A novel or novella has to follow a basic structure and every scene must help move the story forwards or we risk the reader's interest drifting off. But maybe there are too many rules these days. If you listen to traditional publishing and what agents are looking for, we're told not to do anything too different. We have to try and write something that's the same but different. That is, a fresh interpretation of pre-existing themes and stories, but not too unique. An easy sell. If you want to write something super weird, you'd better wrap it up in something knowable, recognisable, like a retelling of a fairy tale. It's okay as long as we repackage the unexpected within the expected. And so the bookshops are filling up with characters and settings and plot lines that we've all seen before. That's fine for people who want to read the familiar and know exactly what they're getting. But I want to be taken somewhere else. Let's go back to the beginning of Alice's adventures in Wonderland. Alice is feeling very lazy. She's bored by the book her sister's reading and can't be bothered to make a daisy chain when suddenly a white rabbit with pink eyes runs past her. At first, she doesn't notice the strangeness of this, even when the rabbit talks to itself. But then, and I quote, when the rabbit actually took a watch out of its waistcoat pocket and looked at it and hurried on, Alice started to her feet for it flashed across her mind that she had never before seen a rabbit with either a waistcoat pocket or a watch to take out of it. And burning with curiosity, she ran across the field after it and fortunately was just in time to see it pop down a large rabbit hole under the hedge. In another moment, down went Alice after it, never once considering how in the world she was to get out again. So after feeling so lazy that she can't be bothered to move, Alice is sprinting after a rabbit with total abandon. She jumps into another world without looking back. Isn't that what we do when we read? when we're that enthralled by a book that we just leave the world behind. If you're like me, if you're like Alice, you need to experience something that you've never really come across before to burn with that level of curiosity. A touch of the unique is what you see and you can't help but follow after it. That's the experience I want my readers to have. Yes, of course, you can't write something so weird that no one's going to relate to it. You have to paint a picture that feels real, is easy to imagine. But the point of a story in my mind is I'm offering an adventure that my readers haven't had before. I agree that if we want an audience for our stories, we must learn the craft of writing through practice through whatever advice and teaching we can get our mitts on, so we can write stories that are exciting, well-paced and satisfying to read. 
But I think of these as guidelines rather than strict rules. If you practice enough and use what you learn often enough, you will absorb these guidelines, these techniques. They'll become part of your intuition as you write. But the shorter the story, the more experimental you can be, the more you can play without fear of getting caught up in a long novel that you might not be able to finish after all. If there's conflict and there's some kind of change for the main character, either in their situation or attitude, or both, then what you've written is at least the basis for a story. So be bold. Do something different. In the time we're living in, there are so many books being churned out, partly because indie publishing, indie publishing gives us this freedom. But use that freedom wisely. You can stand out by writing something special, meaningful. Take your time with it, because what you write will be utterly unique because it's by you and no one else is you. No one else has your unique perspective. So explore it. Be true to yourself while learning all you can and you'll write something that does justice to the message you want to tell the world. You may need to write it just to find out what that message is. I know I did and I'm still learning, still discovering. One last quotation from Alice's Adventures in Wonderland. Just indulge me. The rabbit hole went straight on like a tunnel for some way, then dipped suddenly down, so suddenly that Alice had not a moment to think about stopping herself before she found herself falling down a very deep well. Either the well was very deep, or she fell very slowly, for she had plenty of time as she went down to look about her, and to wonder what was going to happen next. I want to know what happens next. As an author, I'm not in complete control of everything I write. I'm always learning, and I'm certainly not in control of what will inspire me. And I'm honoured to share that journey with you. I hope you'll continue to join me in wondering what will happen next. So that's the last in my Alice in Wonderland mini-series, before the games, at least. And what a bizarre journey it's been. We've explored portals and the port of our, our imaginations, how to deepen a story with character, the Cheshire Cat's advice that we should at least know where we want to get to, that is, the ending of a story, extreme plotting with the Mad Hatter, and finally, what Wonderland means and what we as authors can take from Alice's weird, wild adventure and make it our own. I'd love your feedback on this mini-series and any thoughts or preferences you have about the topics on writing and storytelling that I might cover in future shows. Why not get in touch at anatizard.com. Now, let us throw ourselves deep down the well of our imaginations and find out what happens next using only random words pulled from the socks of destiny.
That's right. And regular listeners will already know that Exquisite Corpse mixes the words uh, of lovely people such as yourself uh, into a strange sentence that goes describing word noun, action, describing word noun. And of course, you can send words and phrases uh, via my play page at anatizard.com. So I'm reaching into the describing word sock. Let's have a look. So this is from Francis S. Posey. Adelpated. <laughs> I had to look this up, I admit. Um, it means mixed up or confused. Adelpated. Okay. I haven't seen that word for a while. Um, the noun is from Mariah. Llama. So we have a mixed up llama, people, but I'm I'm not going to speculate what's going on until I've got the full exquisite corpse. So bear with me while I reach into the action sock. This is from Andy Burrows, one of the earliest players of exquisite corpse. Held a universe for. <laughs> okay. Right, this is a story challenge, by the way. So, you know, all stories are a challenge in a way. Um, our next word is from T.F. Burke, dusty. Okay, so our final word for this first exquisite corpse is <laughs> from Captain Random, number 10 on Twitter. <laughs> Centipede. <laughs> okay, let's just look at the whole exquisite corpse and see what we can do with it. Right, so the whole exquisite corpse is <laughs> the adulpated or mixed up llama held a universe for the dusty centipede. <laughs> of course it did. Um, right, I see we have a challenge on our hands, so I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna pour the green tea already. I think it's um I think it's brewed. And see if this helps stir the imagination. Okay, <laughs> this is fairly bonkers, but let's just have a look at what this might, may suggest to us as story ideas. So thinking about um, this llama, uh, llamas live in South America, I think, in quite arid places, quite high altitude um, but not such high altitude that you expect them to hold a universe. Um, <laughs> and we also have on the other side a dusty centipede. Interesting. Um, what can we do with this though? Because you don't, you don't always have to take it literally and you don't have to take the entire exquisite corpse. We're 
the game is here to suggest to us different ideas. Um, but just for fun, let's see what else it could be. So if for some reason, I just think the first part with the llama is making me think it's, it's a painting. It's a very bizarre piece of artwork. Um, <laughs> it's just too strange. Um, it's a confused llama holding a universe for the dusty centipede. Who is the dusty centipede? Dusty makes me think of a museum curator. Maybe that's why I thought of a painting, a very old painting that holds a mystery. No one has ever solved this mystery or, or got close to solving it as to why the artist painted this painted this um, llama holding a universe. Maybe it's been kept in a secure archive area um, for preservation in the basement. And tonight it's being unveiled to an audience of extremely rich art collectors, art dealers. The museum curator is a rather strange looking individual an eccentric. Maybe she's going to sell it secretly to someone, but pretend that it's a heist because it's not for sale. Pretend that it's been stolen while all the while she's involved in sneakily selling it to one of these art dealers. Maybe that's my interpretation of a many-legged creature, someone who can do these quick deals without anyone noticing. Or what if she really does have that many legs and they're all tucked under her suit? And what of this mystery of the painting? What if the artist was someone who actually believed there was another universe that you could get to if you ride the back of a llama? So what the, the centipede curator is actually selling is a map to another world <laughs> or the way, a method to get to another world. It's rather bizarre, um, but it's, it's, you know, it's my first exquisite corpse of the day. Also, in my defence, um, llamas in South America. South America is where magical realism um, was, you know, de was developed as a literary movement, and that was very peculiar. So I think I'm, I'm getting some, um, some sort of associations here with strangeness. So let's, let's try for another Exquisite Corpse and see what happens. If we can find a more realistic um, setting or, or, or characters. So the first word is from Andy Burroughs. Farting. <laughs> okay, that's uh, that's realistic. That's very much of this world. I asked for it. So the first noun for this is from Evan. Whale. <laughs> okay, whale as in creature in the sea. 
Sporting Whale. Next is our action, which is from Fraser Armitage, the sci-fi writer, Broke. Oh, okay. Um, next word is, this is from Mariah again, Gloomy. Hmm. Let's try the last word and then we'll put it all together. This is from Paul Thomas. <laughs> Otter. Oh, we have another creature from the sea. So that's weird. Hmm. Right, let me have another swig of green tea and then I'll put the whole thing together. Okay. The farting whale broke the gloomy otter. Right. <laughs> We've got our work cut out for us today. Um, this is weird though, because I don't mean to offend any whale lovers out there, but magnificent as they are as creatures, the, the whale song could be compared to farting, could it not? Um, I think I might actually ask my husband to step in now, uh, Duncan, to demonstrate this point. Give me a moment. Can you do an impression of whale song the way that it kind of sounds like farts? <laughs> All right, that'll do. Thank you. See, it's true, isn't it? Right, but let's just let's set that aside and um, look at this exquisite corpse and try and find a story idea from it. So I was thinking about. If someone, um, a, a farting whale, in some sense a farting whale, broke the gloomy otter, it makes it sound as if the gloomy otter is um, a decorative object, like a sculpture. But then, then we've gone back to the museum. So no, no, we need to scrap that and move on. Move on, think of something else. Um, broke the gloominess? Of the otter. I feel like farting is a comedy thing, whereas gloom is just gloom. Is this something to do with a comedy act, an open mic night, or a comedy duo, a big guy who farts, not my husband, and a very straight-laced, sort of a deadpan character? So they kind of pay off each other. One's um, a big buffoon and the other one does this kind of um, fake sulky thing. So they build stories together in, in a sort of a, a comedy uh, story building act. And they get very popular and they seem to get on really well. But perhaps behind the scenes, a very different tale is being played out. If the farting whale guy breaks in some way the gloomy otter, that could mean 
that he's gradually chipping away at his confidence. Maybe he feels that he's being held back by the so-called otter character, this this gloomy person. He wants to um, break out on his own. Because there's, there's a lot of pun um, <laughs> pun potential here with farts breaking out. Let's set that aside. Let's move on. Um, or it could mean break could mean murder. Let's face it, a comedy duo and one is plotting to murder the other. So if you're writing this as a story, you could um, develop scenes where they're in front of other people and they're, they're always play acting, they're always playing pretend. Maybe, to some extent, the gloomy otter is is starting to lose his ability to um, differentiate between his usual self and his play-acting self, his character that he puts across on stage to people because I know he's been under a lot of pressure, maybe he's in debt or something, and so he just throws himself into this character. So there could be a psychological thing going on there. Um, but at the same time, his best friend, or he thinks is his best friend, who's helped carry carry him through difficult times. And they've always been in this comedy act together and it's it's been working well, but he's plotting to kill him. So you've got two things going on. You've got the front that they put up to other people, um, how they seem to play off each other. You know, you you could write one of their, um, you know, one of their acts. And then behind the scenes, harsher words are exchanged. And you start to wonder, how far will this go? Who is plotting to kill whom? Maybe you start the story... um, indicating that perhaps the otter is the otter character is not really an otter but the the gloomy one is plotting to kill the whale one when in actual fact it's the other way around you can flip it round a nice little twist at the end there hey that could work i've never i don't think i've ever written about comedians before <laughs> but i do love the theater as a setting and you always have that feeling of duality you know what what is is shown to an audience and what happens behind a curtain it's an interesting interesting idea to play with so i am going to try for a third exquisite corpse this first word is from francis s posey rotund Actually, I looked this up just in case. Sometimes I look up words I already know, just in case there's a second meaning I didn't know about. And that came up here. It doesn't just mean physically round. It can also mean pompous um, or extravagant in your style or your manner or your language. Rotund. That's interesting. Because you think of a, um, a sort of a portly gentleman. Might well be extravagant and and, and pompous. Anyway, this next word is from Paul Benfield. Crystal shard. (laughs) A rotund 
crystal shard. Okay, we could take that as a physical rotund. It's a <laughs> except it's a shard, which is normally long and thin. This is very weird. Okay, next word. This is the action and it is from Margaret Homersham. Crept round the corner to see. Ooh. Okay. Next word is from Martin Horton. Ghastly. Ooh. Okay, and then the last word is from Evan. <laughs> Vulture. Oh, wow. Okay, let's have a look at the entire exquisite corpse. So, altogether, we have the rotund crystal shard crept round the corner to see the ghastly vulture. Oh, okay. The beginning part is, it is strange to have a shard that is also rotund or round. It's a contradiction or an object that changes shape or might seem one way to one person or and another to someone else. Crept around the corner to see. Maybe it's a, a pendant, a crystal pendant with powers to make someone creep around and spy. Maybe it makes them invisible or able to perceive things that other people can't perceive. So their curiosity takes over. It gives them that feeling of curiosity because they keep seeing flashes of things that don't quite make sense and they need to they need to do a double take and watch someone behind their back. Maybe they can see another layer of reality. What someone's like, really like underneath their facade. And who are they spying on? Their boss? Their lover? Who underneath it all is a ghastly vulture? The rotund crystal shard crept round the corner to see the ghastly vulture. What is a vulture? Someone who feeds on the misery of others who attacks someone who's already down, who's suffered an injury, whether that's psychological or physical, and they attack and feed. Ooh, it feels like a sort of a vampire type theme. And this person has got themselves this strange crystal shard as a pendant. Who gave it to them? Someone who wants to help them, someone who sees what their boyfriend or girlfriend is really like and wants to give them that power to actually see that. Oh, I'm imagining you could try writing a scene where perhaps they're just 
going out shopping together and they go into a crystal shop um, and the one the, the main character she's quite interested she quite likes the the jewelry in in this shop um and her boyfriend's just a bit well I'm not really sure he goes off and wanders and looks at something else but the woman behind the counter speaks to her and and presses on her this rotund crystal shard <laughs> or just you know a pendant a crystal pendant and there's a sense of urgency about it and she cuts the price so low that our protagonist can't really refuse but when she puts it on she can see who her boyfriend really is and unfortunately they've just moved in together um perhaps that so they're bound um financially and practically she can't immediately just leave and also she doesn't quite believe what she's seeing um when she creeps around the corner um while he's cooking and takes a look at him and sees this strange beast and when she takes off the pendant he's just there as himself but when she wears it she gets these flashes of who he really is inside it or it seems and then perhaps she goes back to the to the shop to ask to ask the woman what it was but when she goes back it's, the shop's no longer there. It's a sweet shop. Ooh. <laughs> so it makes you wonder, what is this bizarre talisman really? Is it showing her the truth? Um, or, or, is it, or is it showing her a lie? And why did this woman choose her? Was it to really save her from, from a, a horrible... This, relationship with a horrible person perhaps he's a murderer or something um or is there some grander purpose that our protagonist actually needs to fulfill and it only begins it's only the beginning when she sees through people she sees them for what they really are oh i really like that that's really it's quite different really isn't it so let's just have a quick look uh, back at some of the story ideas we've come up with today. We have a mystery in an ancient painting of a llama holding a universe. What else does it mean? Is it really a map or a clue to a way into another world? And will our dusty, dodgy curator of art get away with selling it to one of the elite collectors in the audience as it's unveiled. Is the curator actually from this other world? Then we have the farting whale who broke the gloomy otter, a comedy duo with secrets, a very different relationship behind that theatre curtain than what you'd believe when you come and see their show. But who is plotting to kill whom? And why? That's a good question to start with, to brainstorm if you want to try that story. And finally, a pendant with strange powers of perception. Our protagonist's boyfriend seems to be 
something or someone else, a dangerous character, though she's never suspected it. And who is the woman who sold her this crystal? Where is she now? And what's the real reason our protagonist was practically gifted this strange power? Well, I hope you find an opportunity to pick up a pen soon and discover all the reasons and the whys and the wherefores. For all of these things, these adventures begin with the questions we ask ourselves and let our imagination fill in the gaps. So until next time, go forth and be inspired. hope you enjoyed today's brainstorium. You can find out more about Exquisite Corpse and my series, The Book of Exquisite Corpse, at anatizard.com. Subscribe to my e-newsletter and you'll get volume one for free. And while you're there, why not submit a few words to the Socks of Destiny on my play page? You may inspire me or inspire yourself to write a unique new story. See you next time.